Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things Dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. And we're back for another wonderful episode of Dwarfy Goodness Talk. If you haven't noticed, we have a, a, a Discord server now, and you can find the link to join that Discord server on our homepage, and that is dfroundtable.com. So I've been playing more Dwarf Fortress since our uh, our last episode, and I ran into something weird that I thought that I would like to bring up with y'all. Mm-hmm. So do you know the sound that Dwarf Fortress makes whenever a werebeast comes on screen? It's like this boom. Oh, yeah. With, I, with drums yeah. and... don't think I've ever played the game with sound on, so <gasps> I don't know that. No, I'm serious. I've, I've, I've never played it with sound. I didn't even know it had a soundtrack, to be perfectly honest. Well, I, I guess I never thought about it. I turned the music off, but I do play with the uh, environmental sounds on, because I think they're kind of nice. To try that. Yeah, I, I'll have to try that. I do play with the sound, but I haven't had a vampire or werebeast in literally like a year or two, and I'm very annoyed about it. Really? That. Yeah. I, really? Well, that's interesting. Since yeah, the they... update, I have not one werebeast. I don't know what's oh. happening. I need to send you my world because they're in mine. Where moose? I I meese. I Mooses. already generated several worlds, but uh, please please go on. I know the uh, sound. <laughs> so uh, that sound happened, and what it told me was uh, that a baroness has come to your uh, map, and it's talked about her just basically describing a baroness. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. So I go into the units menu, and I see that it shows that she's hostile and I go take a look at her description and she looks pretty normal. It's a uh, slept in a bedroom. Well, that's not her, but, but yeah, it was, it just looked all pretty normal. And, but then I took a look at her and followed her around. She walks up to my, uh, to my fortress. And then when she gets and sees people, she runs away like a, like the Mad Hatter. And then she walks back up to the fortress and then runs away, you know, like a dwarf does whenever they're trying to get back home, but there's, you know, a, a monster getting there. spooked, yeah. Huh. Yeah, this is this is a dwarf baroness uh, from a different civilization, but is she showing to be hostile? I wonder, could we be at war with that civilization? Could that cause it? That is the only thing I can honestly think of. But then that would uh, bring the question, why is she here at your fortress? Alone. If if she was trying to do something stealthy, she's doing a lousy job of it. I I don't think the the amount of like stealth needed to like sneak into your fortress and steal something at while completely being hidden and hostile is not really in the game. So the criminals do come, but they're openly saying, "Oh yeah, my name is Tim Bukdus and I'm a criminal." And uh, you're like, <laughs> "Okay." Thanks for telling me that. I've had them just try to basically force other people to do stuff, um, like compel other people in the fortress to steal stuff. And the, like the baddies will like hide out in the fortress for a while. And then when I had this like group of people that would like hide out in the upper left in the trees, and then my people would like go talk to them. And then the next thing I know, somebody in my fortress is stealing shit. Yep. And uh, and then they're like giving it to these people up in the forest. So for that fortress, I just anytime people came out of the map, I try to kill them. <laughs> Things got a little out of hand there. Huh? That is a way to approach the subject, I guess. 
Uh, well, I, it's one way. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I kind of try to make like a border crossing uh, protection control thing going where uh, people are not allowed directly into my fortress because it's walled off. And then there is like a waiting room that they can go into. And when they get into the waiting room, I send my uh, captain of the guard and then they interrogate them. And then I know, you know, what they're up about. Because if they're a criminal, they're like, oh, yeah, hello, my name is Timbuktus. And I'm here to literally just steal things and, like, corrupt your people. And, okay, cool. But this is your typical justice system criminal bad guys, right? Yeah. yeah these yeah. are these are people who don't want to be caught. You just yeah, yeah, have the, to catch them. They will... They will pretend to be a bard or a prophet or like some kind of mercenary uh, but a baroness that is from a different civilization and set, outright says it's hostile uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I'm, that is I'm, in the villain plot no that's really weird yeah I think something's goofed I think and I misspoke it's a it's a baroness consort it's not actually even the baroness Huh. Um, I don't think that she is from my civilization. I think she's from another civilization. So, so neither one of you have had a hostile dwarf show up uh, alone, isolated when it's not a siege or an attack of any sort. I've, that you recall? I don't think I've ever experienced that. No, I I don't remember any instance of that. But have you had a full moon yet? Because that that could be an explanation. Like, that is actually a werebeast, and the attack got a little bit goofed. Because when a werebeast approaches your map, um, like, it spawns onto your map, right? And then it it does not get to be seen, but it gets to sneak up on your dwarfs, and then it sees it it is being seen, and by, for example, like a cat or something, and then you get the... Uh, the the gong and the the text message like oh no uh, now you know why you fear the night but if in that meantime they uh, transform back to a dwarf or an elf or whatever you get a weird message saying oh it's an elf now you know why you fear the night but uh, usually <laughs> there is still the 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 wording of now you know why you fear the night right you know. I bet that's it. I bet either it had just been like on a click or something before it had been a werebeast. And by the time that it actually got on my map and it announced itself, yeah, I bet there's like a, it's a, a matter of timing. I, I bet you're right. Cause it's acting a lot like whenever a werebeast turns back into a, a, a dwarf, it's acting like they do, uh, runs away, acting confused. Yeah, hmm. that makes sense. I think that you may have solved the mystery. What I need to do is I need to set out a trap for this Baroness consort. See if I can trap her and just leave her in the cage for a month and see if she turns into a werebeast. Probably. If I can catch her before she runs uh, off map. If she counts as hostile, that means you can get her into a cage trap. That that should work. So you could probably build a cage trap, uh, tell everybody to get in away from the cage trap so the consort then walks into the cage trap without being spooked first and then you you should have her caged yeah if my dwarves weren't so damn slow i could get them to build a a wall around her but uh by the time my dwarves actually picked up the blocks and 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 uh, and built a wall 
What's that? DF yeah. hack, faster of space one. That solves <laughs> that problem for you. That, that would solve it, yeah. You know oh. what? I got I got stuff to do. I, I don't have time to sit around all day waiting for them to figure it out. <laughs> like, just get on with it, guys. Do my bidding. Well, That's would the Baroness mine. become fast too, though? Yeah, yeah. Everybody does. Uh, no, it, no, it basically. No. If she's, no, oh, she's hostile. That's yeah, right. If she's not part of your yeah, uh, population, you she orders. does not get the speed bonus unless you go uh, fast dwarf uh, space one space one. Then everybody. Yeah, that'll fast. do. Yeah, it's teleport. That's really fast. Um, okay. <laughs> so what we're gonna do here is I'm gonna make a copy of the of my save, and uh, and I might experiment with that. I I don't want to 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 do that I'm, i i kind of feel like it's it's cheating although you know to each his own right <laughs> i get it i get it i mean no judgment like i get it okay so i think that the mystery's been solved yeah i i like to test things a lot and try to figure stuff out so when i'm trying to figure stuff out if i just want to kind of like get to the point where i can test something i will definitely fast or because it's like look i got an hour here <laughs> you know <laughs> like get on with the dwarves <laughs> Yeah, I say it sounds like it sounds like cheating, but I have no problem at all, you know, uh, showing myself where the veins of this particular mineral are that I want to dig out. So yeah, yeah that's uh, which you is just as much cheating as fast. So yeah, it's a game. It's a game, man. It's a, yeah. If it's a single player game, yeah. then I mean, there's no rules for me. Like I'm the guy that brought up the debugger when playing Baldur's Gate three because I was sick of doing a fight twice. It's like you know what? <laughs> to memory, we go. <laughs> Suddenly, everything started to go a lot better. (laughs) With sad cloud tears, the great scribe Michael Eller delivered a memorial. Bimink Dented the Elder was born into the world in the year 21. A dwarf of vision and unyielding determination, Bim rose to lead the inaugural expedition of the Violet Rack and his name would be forever etched in the annals of history as one of the seven dwarves who founded the illustrious New Tower of Showing. But Bim's legacy extends beyond leadership, he was a true crafts dwarf of rare caliber. His genius gave birth to the wondrous artifact known as Broiltames, a floodgate that defied convention and marked a turning point in engineering. Not content with being a mere thinker and builder, Bim proved his mettle on the battlefield. In a duel with the monstrous Wermoose, Phycod Cloister Passions, he emerged victorious, securing the safety of his people. Yet, even the bravest are not spared from the whims of fate. In the year 109, during the harrowing Battle of Maelstrom Nashra, the squashed attack, Bim met his tragic end, felled by the sinister goblin Durple Echo Wondered and his Silver Maul. In honor of his indomitable spirit, a grand Philite statue was erected, a masterpiece crafted by the skilled hand of Risen Uselmill. It depicted Bim Ink Dented and his fellow dwarves in poignant detail, marking the moment of his departure from leadership in the early summer of 108. The fluid saga of Michael Eller's ode to Elder Bim Ink Dented, a dwarf of vision, courage, and innovation, endures as a testament to the indelible mark one individual can leave on the tapestry of time. Uh, I did have another dwarf that showed to be extremely unhappy, like the red, angry face. And then I went to look at them, and it said, "I'm doing fine." And I looked down at the uh, at the the memories, and nothing really stood out to be bad. And then I looked at the uh, 
the personality and and all that kind of stuff. And then I noticed that further down this list, uh, he was uh, panicking, reliving being attacked. And then I see that this person is on a crutch. And I realize that this person is uh, is maimed. Oh, Yet he is still it. in the squad. And he was doing an individual combat drill. Although he had uh, good feelings about being able to use his his crutch better. He felt satisfied upon improving crutch walking while he's in a combat drill. So I realized that that's probably not the best person to be in my squad if he's walking around with a crutch. So I took him out of the squad. I'm hoping that he gets happier. But have either of you had any success getting a dwarf that is in the worst mood out of that worst mood? Have you been able to, to recover a dwarf that has gotten that far down? Yeah. No, it's corpse disposal as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> wow. But, Oof. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough fort. I run a tight ship. <laughs> no, I, I haven't ever, once they're like melancholy, it's usually like, wait till they go in a room and lock them in. Well, he's not acting melancholy though. He's, oh. he's, it's like he slept in a bedroom. This could be bliss. He's, he's blissful after sleeping in a good bedroom, bored after being unable to practice a craft. So he seems pretty normal. The only sign that he is in a horrible, horrible mood is that whenever I look at the unit screen, he has the angry red face by him, yeah. the worst mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is fine. That is fine. That is completely fixable. That is completely yeah. fixable, especially if he gets normal mood boosters. For example, he likes his bedroom. Um, he enjoys actually talking to friends. He enjoys crafting um, because like a person that does not enjoy any of these things, I've had them before, you can't help them. They don't enjoy anything in their life. Therefore, yep. they get no bonus moods, like no positive influences. But as long as there are positive influences, I've, I've done this like several times at this point. My, my entire fortress is basically either uh, light green or dark green. And um, uh, so it is very possible to actually get a dwarf away from red. You just have to focus on the dwarf and uh, do a little bit min-maxing here and there and make sure that their needs are specifically taken care of. Uh, often you can achieve a great amount of positive influence for um, the individual if you make, for example, a gold statue and put it in the room. That is that, oof, goes crazy. Or you make new clothing, and then you kind of make sure that that person definitely gets new clothing on all body parts. Um, that also helps a lot. Or if... For example, you said the person is bored because they don't get to craft. Um, you put them into, for example, bone crafting, bone bone carving, and you just let them like shoot their shit with like four thousand bones, and you say, "Go, go hog wild, just do whatever." And uh, that it is recoverable. If it's red, it's cool. recoverable. Cool. I struggle with the necromancer experiment types. Like I've got um, these, this group, this actually, this world seems to have a ton of these. They're, you know, it, whatever necromancer experiencing experiments are called, like this one's called Lost Zombie. Um, these guys don't feel anything whenever anything happens. So, yeah, like it's a little hard to make them happy. Because yeah. they're not happy when they drink, even though they have a need to drink. Drinking more doesn't help them feel better. 
so you know it's it's been really interesting so i've i've got my my war elephants fort and i'm having behavioral problems and it's usually just these experiments and then i don't know it's kind of it's kind of weird it's 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 a little tough to balance some of their needs when they can't be satisfied yeah 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 that that is actually something that i would deem to be a lost cause but the the undead do have the positive thing that they are in fact undead so their mood has much less influence on yeah. what is happening in their head I have to be honest, if I ever get a dwarf that is, like, bad in mood and they don't enjoy anything, they usually get a mean nickname, like Mr. Stinky, for example, was my last one. Um, because then I can just filter out. Like, the entire fortress is fully green, and I have one person that is either orange or deep red, and he's called Mr. Stinky, so I instantly know, okay, okay, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't count. And um, uh, if... You know, if the person doesn't enjoy doing anything, then th that's it. That's it. Like, you don't enjoy crafting. You don't enjoy uh, martial arts. You don't enjoy talking to friends. You you, you don't enjoy anything. Like, I I'm sorry. I can't help you. The, you need actual therapy, my friend. So these things that he's unhappy about because he wasn't able to do them, are those things that he necessarily enjoyed? Because the... the box says that he was uneasy after being able to admire admire art he was lonely after being unable to make merry he was lonely being away from family being away from friends and so on so does that indicate he likes these things uh, he would enjoy doing these things how much is still a question there is a little bit of a difference between filling their needs and actually having like a positive mind influence on them honestly Putnam explained it. I don't think I got it correctly, so I can't... What's that? Like, Putnam explained a little bit about, oh, okay. like, happiness and filling needs and how it connects and where it doesn't, and I don't think I got the whole thing correct, so I'm not going to say the whole thing, because yeah, I would be wrong. If you can if you can find uh, the link to, uh, to that... Yeah. Where, where, where she explained that. I'll put it in the show notes because I'd definitely like to watch it. I really want to watch some of her stuff and I haven't, I haven't seen or heard her do any, uh, any presentations because I love hearing about the innards and the mechanics and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> hey, and I also made myself a, what I'm calling a happiness index for my fortresses. And so what I do is I multiply the lowest number of dwarves times zero, the next highest times one, the next highest times two, and so on, until I get all the way up to, what is it, seven? Yeah, seven. And then I divide that by the number of dwarves I have in my fortress, and that basically gives me an average happiness rating of my fortress. Hmm. Of course, it started off that I didn't have any dwarves in the red or orange levels. I had a few of them in the uh, just unhappier than neutral. Yeah, something happened, and and I've got some mm -hmm. some really sad dwarves. You hate to see it. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. The great bard Clino Dev tells the ancient tale of Newtower of Showing. In the spring of the year 110, amidst the bustling city, Mayor Obachtultrated found herself ensnared in a web of disquiet. Troubling events had unfolded shaking the very foundations of her leadership. In the span of but a few moons, the city faced the relentless onslaught of two goblin sieges, 
the harrowing assault of a fearsome werelemur and a formidable weremoose, the appearance of an enigmatic Eton, and the menacing gaze of a cyclops. The toll of this tumultuous time was felt deeply, as three valiant dwarves succumbed to the curse of lycanthropy, and the subsequent full moon saw them felled by their compatriots. Among those who sacrificed all for the city was the revered Bimink-Dented, whose loss in a goblin siege weighed heavily upon the hearts of the dwarves. Yet, amidst the shadowy tendrils of uncertainty, a vexing question emerged, had the gods cast their disfavor upon Mayor Obok's leadership? Could it be that Elder Bim's departure bore an ominous curse upon the fortress? Mayor Obok, her spirit burdened, sensed the need for solitude, a pilgrimage into the heart of isolation, in search of the divine will. As she contemplated her path, the destiny of New Tower Rovshowing hung in the balance, its fate poised upon the precipice of uncertainty. So saith Klino Dev, Bard of the Ages. So I, I went ahead and saved a copy of my uh, of my uh, fortress to see if to, that I'm going to tweak it and see if I can capture that Baroness just to see what happens. It is the I have to look. It's the third of Slate. I need to find out when the full moon is in Slate. Uh, Dwarf Fortress Wiki. So did you guys play any Dwarf Fortress over the week? I sure did. Or has it been an all Baldur's Gate kind of thing for y'all? <laughs> That's right. You were you were playing with your uh, with your Elephant Fortress. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that. I, I still am trying to figure out how in the heck to uh, add animals to them. So I've got a lot of war elephants. I just don't know how to give them to people anymore, <laughs> assign them to people. So I'm still messing around trying to figure that out. But um, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of war elephants and, you know, they're trained and they're happy and it's very sustainable and they keep making more war elephants. How many trainers died? Nobody. I mean, it was all, it's all been a very safe affair. They're very friendly elephants. Um, oh, cool. Uh, but yeah, do you, do you guys know how to assign things, work animals? Do you just, do, are they automatically assigned or how do you, I haven't really figured out how to do that. I've got stray war elephants that are trained, but I just don't know how to assign them to people. Mm -hmm. So I know how it was before the update, but let me think, because after the update, there's two different ways you can do it. You can do it from the animal tab, if I remember correctly. You can assign animals from the animal tab, but only if they're uh, war or hunting trained and only then to their specific job region. So, for example, a war trained elephant can only be assigned to a soldier. But uh, if you click on a person that you want to assign the animal to, you can also assign them other animals. This way you can, for example, do what I did, assign war dogs to kids so they are kept safe. <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. They keep the gremlins off of them. Yeah, I need to play around with that a little bit more, I guess. I got some, I got some stuff to do. But I'm happy. I got, uh, I got elephants for the first time ever, so that's cool. They're very helpful. Yeah. just wish the whole thing wasn't in a... Uh, <laughs> in perpetual tantrum spiral. Usually don't have that problem. I'd, I'd say since this new update, I've had very few of these like sort of unresolvable tantrum spirals. Do you know what triggered it? The tantrum spirals? Yeah. Seems to be rain. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, as best I try to give them tunnels above ground to walk in. Occasionally they just decide to go around the tunnels and go into the rain. 
And then there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Like everyone's just furious about the rain. Like I get it, you know, I'm sorry we, we all live in Seattle, but like that's, that's just what's happening here. Also, I've realized kind of letting the tantrum spirals just play out doesn't seem to be great uh, because they all hate seeing carnage everywhere. Oh, yeah. I don't love that. Yeah, I have in the the past tended to exile dwarves that I was afraid were about to go go tantrum. I don't know. Can you can you exile a dwarf whenever they are in tantrum mode? Um. Kind of. I mean, you can tell them to do it, but they won't do it. They don't go. Tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> usually, usually yeah. I just send my squad in to, to kill them. Damn. You you both are ruthless. I love my dwarves. Uh, I take care of them. Well, once they're beating people up and, and causing people's teeth to go into a ballistic trajectory across the room, what else can you do but, but send in the, uh, the swordsman? Um, you rehabilitate them and you pamper them and you tell them everything is going to be fine and then they get better and then they get back to work and they have a family and they become stable and like mentally stable and, and they there's growth in their life. I don't know. That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Mine don't even want to bury their dead. Now it's like I just have corpses sitting out everywhere and they're, they don't want to put them in the coffins, which is... Great. Thanks, guys. So everybody goes into the Atom Smasher and then I build slabs. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's an official way to play the game, by the way. I'm, I'm just throwing Yeah, it's just like everyone. But then the children play in the Atom Smasher, so inevitably I smash lots of children too. But, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, right? <laughs> Am I right? Wow. Okay, but serious <laughs> question how do your kids get into the Atom Smasher? You know, it's 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 kind of a an open fortress. Like they go through the door that is the Atom Smasher. Um, I I have it separated by a door, and I'll usually lock it when I pull the trigger. But like, I have a kid that just loves to play in the bones that are in the Atom Smasher, which is really kind of morbid. Hmm. What are you going to do? Right? We like what we like. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> are you using like a quantum dump? style atom smasher yeah i've got a drawbridge with a trash pile underneath it and then bam down goes the drawbridge out goes the garbage that's how i usually do it too and put a wall around it so that it so that the crap can't fly off yeah i mean this kid if it still is loves to play in the bodies of all these old things so this child is rummaging through the bones of like five different dwarves and it says feels nothing after seeing the dead body (laughs) <laughs> it's a really interesting child. Oh, that's that's perfect, Perhaps. though. That's perfect, because that child is not yearning for the mines. That child is yearning for the military. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, you, you can see it. Yep, yep, yep. So if this child makes it out of the Atom Smasher, I think we've got a great, <laughs> we've got a great option. Oh, I think boy. we've got a great potential here. But you got to get yeah. out of that Smasher. you got to help me help you. He'll do wonderfully in today's dwarven army yeah. <laughs> i don't know i'm, I'm a bit uh i'm a bit kind of like maybe it's time to pull the plug on this one but um i don't know there's a little bit of a roland idea maybe this could be saved <laughs> yeah i definitely want to uh to save this uh this fortress i don't want my my people to to uh endanger the fortress as a whole because this is the fortress in which the new mayor has found a grand uh, a grand purpose, which is building a giant 
uh, statue of something. Don't know what yet, but she's going to build a giant statue. Okay, a giant one. That's cool. Yes, it's going to be probably 50 or 60 um, uh, units, uh, Z, Z levels, Z units tall. Well, that's it's going to be big. Oh, wow. That's not, that's not nothing. Okay. It's a big statue. You, you got some work, work cut out for you there. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. But uh, so we're going to try to see if we can rehabilitate these dwarves and make them happy so that we don't end up with a tantrum spiral that brings down the fortress. It's a good plan. Okie dokie. Let's see what we got. I got some emails here that oh, nice. that came in over the summer. Love it. We have one here from Rollversal. Rollversal asks, hello, you dwarven delvers. I love your podcast series. And I noticed that you talk about frame death a lot. From what I understand, it's because of the restriction of a single thread, but with the new beta, there's now an option for multi-threaded processing. How do y'all think it'll impact the future of the game? Do you think it'll slow down development of new features? I'd love to hear what y'all think about this. Death to Elves, Rollversal. P.S. Do y'all have a Discord? Or is there someplace <laughs> else where the DF Roundtable community uh, has some sort of forum? Is- well, Rollversal, whenever you wrote that, we did not have a Discord, but we do now. Head to dfroundtable.com and grab the link and join the Discord. It's almost good that Bye. we now come to that email because now we can actually talk about these things positively. Mm. Well, honestly, this was one of the emails that just sort of pushed me over the edge and to stop screwing around and <laughs> go ahead and make a discord server do it yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i did so uh, but so so the the multi-threading you touched on it a little bit last episode roland you said that it was uh didn't make anything faster but it kept things from getting slower yep is that a good yep good way to put yep, it yep yep uh i yeah but i have to say that the multi-threading is not like general multi-threading it, it's not the magic cure for all our FPS problems because the game is technically still not being multi-threaded. As far as I understand it, different things got outsourced that are not needed. For example, graphics. Therefore, uh, if you have long event chains that happen in the game, say, for example, I don't know, Battlefield, right? Everybody knows Battlefield. Battlefield is definitely running on several cores it has not become that. The game is not running on several cores. Several things that were not needed for the main process got outsourced to a second processor core. The actual big, real Dwarf Fortress game is still a single thread game, and it will stay forever a single thread game. So it, the, the, the multi-threading which I've seen several times in the community that people slightly misunderstood what is happening with the multi-threading. The multi-threading is not suddenly everything is like on as many cores as you want. It is just a few processes not integral to the game got outsourced. That's, that's it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great start. I have no doubt that this is a massively complex code base that's been developed and refined over decades. And so as such, I'm sure there's a lot of complexity and a lot of unwinding. And I, and I would imagine, yeah, like you say, Roland, this isn't the magic fix that suddenly FPS death will never happen if you have a 20 core processor. But I, I would imagine that it's the start of some experimentation, which will likely lead to improvements in the future, particularly as 
like the way the game is written starts to change and adapt. If that makes sense, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I think I know what I'm saying. It's like, it's a start. And I think as things continue, it will continue to be leveraged in, you know, now that it's available. That's kind of my guess. Yeah, I, I, I could see that, you know, uh, more processes getting outsourced to a second pro- uh, processor core, um, more, for example, the whole several Z levels, um, being shown like when you enable that that you can see several z levels for example that still lags quite heavily i hope that at some point that gets outsourced to uh, other cores but um we we will see about multi-threading because at the end of the day uh toady would have to do that and toady doesn't know how to multi-thread so well i think it's also a complicated structure because oh, yeah. the way that everything is emulated is you sort of need things to happen. Yeah. Yeah, It kind of needs to all, it needs to like run through a whole cycle and then run through the whole cycle again. And so, you know, if you had somebody in one, you know, I, I I think there's just a lot of complexity and the fact that that Putnam was able to get it in, in some state so quickly is pretty neat. And um, I I think kind of a great sign that things are going to start, you know, like now Toadie had, you know, he had one perspective on how to do things. Now there's two. And so now you've got two like really good developers kind of working together with new tools and they can kind of, you know, be a, like a dev team. So that's awesome. And I, and I think we're all going to start to see how that comes together and starts to work. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it was just like an introduction of the concept, which is really neat. Cause I bet Putnam was looking at it and was like, Hey, you know what? this might be able to be multi-threaded. Hey, look, it's multi-threaded, you know? And it's like, now the option can present itself to sort of go back and look for other opportunities, I guess. I don't know. Speculation station. Also, I think that uh, future features can be uh, developed, possibly, at least it can be considered. Is this something that we could pass off to another thread or is it something that needs to go in the in the, the game loop? Exactly, yeah. I think it's, it's just teeing up for the future. That's kind of the way it felt to me. But but you are right, Roland. Uh, multi-threaded programming is very. Oh yeah. There's just a lot, especially whenever you're you're writing in in a. I think he's doing some strange mixture of C and C plus plus. At least that's what the original code base was. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not porting it to JavaScript or anything. <laughs> Thank uh, God. Or an interpreted language that that <laughs> will handle the the threading for you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's uh, it is what it is, and it's awesome. So, um, did we answer your question, that... Reversal? Yes. Oh, great. <laughs> the revelation came from the venerable scribe, Mister Gutsy. One night in the early spring of the year 110, Mayor Obok Toltrated ventured into the untamed wilderness, guided by an unyielding resolve. For a span of forty days and forty nights. She sought solitude amidst the windswept expanse known as the passionate dune of the Great Land. During this self-imposed exile, Mayor Obok surrendered herself to the relentless embrace of hunger, thirst, and the capricious elements, placing her fate squarely in the hands of destiny. And it was there, in that crucible of existence, that she experienced a revelation, a vision of monumental proportions. In the ethereal realm of her mind's eye, she beheld a colossal figure, a guardian astride a mighty river, its protective shadow cast not only over New Tower of Showing and the Violet Rack, but over the entirety of the mythical planet itself. 
Empowered by this newfound clarity of purpose, Mayor Obok Toltrated returned to her cherished fortress, imbued with a confidence that could only stem from a divine touch. She understood her calling, as well as that of New Tower, a mission ordained by fate itself. With unwavering determination, she summoned her corps of engineers, ready to shape the future as foretold by Mr. Gutsy. Thus, the die was cast, and the tale unfolded. Roland, you were at Games, uh, Gamescon. Gamescon. Yeah. You were at Gamescon, yeah. right? What was that? Um, oh, boy. Okay. You have to imagine that this is like uh, the biggest games convention currently that we have. It is, or at least it was before Corona, bigger than E3. So it's it's full. There's a lot of people. And it is like halls that are filled with people and then you have uh, like a like a area that is is walled off and then you have some PCs or screens or whatever and then you have like presenters and they're talking into microphones and there's music playing and it's it's a whole thing right but uh, when i arrived at the convention i instantly looked at the map and was like okay where are the indie games and then I, I just walked straight into the indie game corner. I also brought my brother. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, but you're overruled. We are going there first. <laughs> and uh, then... He's like, but I want Fortnite. Oh, no, he was aware that I was going to like push him into that direction first. Um, he was fine with that. And uh, then we, we walked around a little. The indie game corner has become so massive. Like previously, in previous years, it was much smaller. But now there's a whole... It's a whole hall, okay? And it is like a labyrinth of two or three or four PCs for for like one game or one developer. And then everybody's like running around these PCs and everything is a little bit like small, very crammed and uh, people are waiting to play. People are just like, okay, somebody else is already waiting. So I'm going to the next PC that is like two meters over there and I'm going to play a different game. And it's so many games. It is insane. And uh, we, we found Dwarf Fortress, which was already a thing. And then I got there and I look at it and somebody is playing the game and he doesn't know what is happening. He, he looks lost. He, com- he looks completely lost and on what is happening. So, you know, I, I scoot over there and I look over his shoulder and I'm like, mm, excuse me, you need help? And um, uh, he, then, then I told him like, oh, try this and try that. And uh, it, it, I, I think it kind of made him scared to realize that there's so much going on <laughs> and he just kind of left. So you got his you got his terminal right. So then you sat down and that's what yes. you do is you is you belittle someone who's playing a game in a department store so that you can take over the game. I, I actually wanted to help him because I do have the game at home. So why would I play it at the Gamescom? But I ultimately did sit down and play it at the Gamescom because you know well, machismo, right? I also way too late, but I came up with the idea. I should have probably just copied my own fortress brought it to the Gamescom and played it on the PC there so that the people that get there can start with a new fortress. Like, they look into an actually already running 100-person fort instead of, oh, there's nothing on my map and I have, like, two horses. 
But yeah, uh, let's talk about the people there. Obviously, Alexandra herself was there. Uh, was there. I talked to her. She is, she's very nice in person. Um, I think she was intimidated by my height, <laughs> uh, which uh, uh, I, I, I guess I, I guess I can understand that. Who else was there? Obviously, Toady. And it uh, freaked me out, right? I was on the PC, and I'm turning around to talk to my brother, who stands behind me. And behind him, there's Toady. And I glance over my brother's shoulder, and I'm like... <laughs> and he's like, what, what, what? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, he's here. And, uh, you know, I scooted over there, and I introduced myself. And he's like, um, oh, the podcast. And, uh, the, you know, if you remembered me, that was very cool. Very nice. Cool. Uh, cool, cool. And uh, I don't know what we, 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 we talked about the game and um, what, what he's currently working on. And he, he said he's kind of, kind of sick of all the menu stuff. And he wants to get back into the, the good bits, like going back and doing the, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, not law and order. What's, what's, uh, justice? Yeah, the justice and the, the, the justice system. The, the, the villains. villains. The villains. Ah, that is the word. The villains. Law and order? What the hell? That is a series. Um, and, uh, he also talked about the magic thing. And I was like, wow, you're, you're like grasping into the future here. What else? What else? Oh, he said something very funny. Uh, he, I think he's fine with me saying that, but so he asked my brother whether or not my brother is also playing. My brother does not really play the game be because before there was no graphics update and it just kind of pressured him into trying at least. And Tony was like, yeah, you know, just, you know, just, you know, copy the game. Just like copy my the, the things on Steam and give it to him. And I'm like, that is stealing from you. I'm speaking to you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't care. Uh, I mean, okay. That is piracy. I don't know. Like, okay, I promote piracy. <laughs> yeah, I think he's been pretty consistent, though, about it. You know, like, he made this game for years and gave it away. So, you know, I, I would imagine, you know, speculation here on my part, that his goal is to make a game that he wants people to play, which is why he gave it away for nearly 20 yeah, years. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I would imagine there was some conflict internally about selling it. I mean, I think it's awesome that he did. And it's great that now it gives them the freedom to just work on it without having the shackles of capitalism in the American healthcare system driving the conversation. If it, if that can free them to be able to do it and give it away, like that's cool. Um, I'm happy to support it, but yeah, I, I would imagine it's kind of like a bit of a balance, you know, rather than a, you know, it's like I make this game and I want everyone to play it. Like that's, that seems pretty consistent with the yeah. way he's always done things. Yeah. That's yeah. I guess how I would, um, but yeah, super open, I, <laughs> super, super open dude. I, I found awesome. that very funny. And he, he also back paddled a little and was like, Oh wait, I, I can't, I can't say that, you know, because you're the press and I'm like, I'm not the press. I'm just some dude that talks on the internet. Well, yeah. seeing how you just reported it to the public. 
<laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> official are. press. Maybe next time I just get like a like a um, how's that called like a press button, so I get into the 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 secret halls of the Gamescom where only like members of the press are. Yeah, a press credentials yeah. badge. Yeah, you know, you could have said, you could have said, "Come on, Toadie, you wouldn't download a car." <laughs> well, you would if you could. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there was a, a thought on the, I think it was the subreddit one time. And it was basically like, what, what is he going to do with all the money? Is he, is he going to be like a, become like a villain? And I, I brought that question up to him, you know, like, Hey, what are you doing with the money? You know, you, are you sitting on it? And, um, he obviously talked about like okay he, he is now actually able to afford healthcare properly and he uh, feels very taken care of and he um, his his future is now much more secure than it was before but ultimately he he was like oh i, I bought this shirt and i'm like oh, okay oh, oh and did you see my lamborghini <laughs> uh, he he got there by That's by public uh, transportation so you know you know, this is not this is not Lamborghini money to people. Just just for you know, like y- you have to kind of view it as you you total up the amount of money that somebody makes working throughout their life, and you'll be surprised how much it is and how much you don't have at the end. And um, you know, like this is that for him. So instead of him getting this like developer salary at work for the last twenty years, he just this gets is it like now. catch up. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like a lump sum payment for your life's work. Here you mm-hmm. are. This it, is what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, this is not Lamborghini money. This is not Tody Flanagan's wealth. I think we talked about this with him ages yeah. ago, or maybe somebody else did. It's it's all jumbled. And he was just like, you know, I would be a terrible billionaire because I would give it all away. It would be like Brewster's millions. And I, and I thought that was like the most realistic and grounded way I've heard somebody talk about money. And I thought it was amazing. So I, I, I take him at his word. Yeah, and if I got that that kind of a uh, uh, windfall, then I would, you know, the smart thing to be is to like put it in some funds, some safe investments, and you know, get your salary off of the off of the interest. So. Yeah, lock it in, you know, lock it in something with a high rate, like five or six percent. Now, what rates are really high, just have it pay you out five five percent on three million bucks or whatever for, you know, that's a salary. It's like one hundred and two hundred grand. That's pretty cool. And and he did not say it's none of your damn business, man. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I mean, look, they they they're pretty open about it. I don't think you're going to see super super villain layers built out of that, and you're certainly not with the amount of money that they've been talking about. Like this is you know low low seven figures, so I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't worry so about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is like what Bezos sneezes into a hand a, a handkerchief and throws away. <laughs> you know, like this is. This is that kind of money. It's not not serious money. Yep, Roland, I'm very jealous you met Toady One. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, I I was a little upset at my at myself because I should have brought like an older type camera, like a Polaroid, where you instantly get the photo out and because then I could have made him sign the photograph of us both. And that would have been absolutely delicious. Um, so now I just have a photo with us both posing, uh, which is already uh, pretty cool. I have to print that out and actually put that into a frame. 
I, I told him that. I'm, I'm going to frame that. I'm going to frame that. And he just laughed. And he's like, I don't know if, if that is a, is a good photo to hang up onto a wall. It is. It's got Tony mm-hmm. in it, right? It's got you exactly. in it. Yes. That is good. Yeah, of course. It's like, see, I find that to be more impressive than those pictures of shaking hands with the president. <laughs> People frame those and put them on the wall. Yeah, that's, it's, it's cooler. It is more special. Hell, I might, I might frame your picture with Tony. <laughs> um, and just put your, put your own photo over the top of and it. And by the way, uh, we, we got into talking and th- he said something that I wasn't fully aware of because I never really thought about it. But the Gamescom was the first time he actually showed off his game in like a public setting. Like, really? like, oh, you can play. You know, it's here. It's right here on the PC. I'm not just talking about it. Sit down and play it and have fun in like a public setting. So he never had a, I'm surprised that he never had a booth yeah. at a. Yeah, this, this was the first time. And, uh, I'm, I'm surprised about that. I, I thought he was at some conventions earlier, but apparently he just talked about the game and didn't actually bring the game itself. So. All these things cost money. That's true. You know? That's like true. The booth costs money, you know, so this is all coming out of what we, what we spent and and i think that's great you know like the goal of getting people to play the game is getting out there and and doing this kind of stuff so i mean i hope it i hope it pays for itself tenfold you know like i i want them to have a lot more they deserve a lot more sure you know they make they're making great software agreed agreed it's a good product well glad you had a good time at gamescon yeah, it sounds super fun. Oh, and I, I found out that Alexandra also plays World of Warcraft. And uh, I, I gained wow. a lot of respect for her when I found out that she mainly played Troll. <laughs> All right. So I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. If you have any questions, you can uh, send them to us at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Once again, stop by the website and uh, and join the Discord server if you enjoy interacting with your fellow listeners and us. So, yep, it's been fun. There's been a ton of people on there, and I'm really happy how the uh, turnout has has uh, has come into the uh, the Discord, and now I wish that I'd done it a lot sooner. I I agree with that statement. It has been fun, and I was surprised uh, on how quickly a lot of people joined up in the Discord. And I was like, it it it, it, it like rattles my phone every time somebody joins, and I'm like, oh oh, oh attention, oh. Okay, guys. Well, we'll see you in a couple weeks, and uh, until then. Everyone out there, good luck and dig deep. I'm trying to come up with a good, like, end quote here, but I'm struggling. Strike the earth! Your fortress has been abandoned and left to (laughs) ruin. This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable Podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. 
please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. This is a conversational podcast. All craft storeship is of the highest quality. Thanks, Alfonso.